the beginning of his brilliant book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg tells a story of the keeper of the stream. It's a story of this small mountain town that has a river running through it. But if you go up further into the mountains, there's a number of streams that flow into this one river. And the town for decades has paid this man to be the keeper of the streams. Uh, he's the one that cleans them out, keeps debris out of them, makes sure there's not too much silt that's building up. And because of his work, the river is clean and it runs through town and the kids play in it, the birds drink from it, and it gives life to the town. Well, at one of the town council meetings, they decide that they're going to cut his position from the budget. Most of the work that he did was unseen anyway. And so they cut his position and they move the money into building a new parking lot or something like that. Well, over the course of the next months and years, the river starts to get dirty. Uh, there starts to be a silt buildup. It starts to be polluted. The birds end up leaving. The kids stop playing in it. And it stops giving life to this little mountain town. And so they go and they hire back the keeper of the stream. And he gets back to work. And, and the river starts running beautiful and clean and life-giving once again. And Orberg makes the point in his book. He says this, The life of the village depended on the stream. And the life of the stream depended on on the keeper. He went on to write, the stream is the heart and you are the keeper. The stream is the heart and you, you are the keeper. So let me ask you a question today. How's your heart? I know you didn't ask me, but let me tell you how mine is. <laughs> uh, mine's sad, frustrated, a little bit angry. I'd say it's, it's a little bit fragile. It's a little bit confused. If somebody asked me this week, how are you doing? And I, I didn't know how to answer. I mean, it just seems like there's layers right now in this cultural moment, doesn't it? I mean, you have COVID stacked on top of racism that's coming to the surface and um, protests and riots. We have economic instability that's just surrounding us and a future that we can't exactly name and figure out. This is a challenging season. So how's your heart? Did you know that the author of Proverbs in chapter 4, verse 23, wrote this? He said, keep your heart with all vigilance, because from it flows the wellspring of life. With all vigilance, like, like do this with all of your might. So let me invite you today to take a deep breath and to think for a moment about your inner life, about your heart. Because today we're starting a new series. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to explore Jesus's parables in the Gospel of Matthew. And the first parable that we're going to look at is about, you guessed it, your heart. Parables, this word that we, English word that we get from the Greek word, parabola. It's two words put together. Para means to come alongside of and bola means to throw and so parable is this picture of Jesus or somebody else telling a story where he throws something alongside of something else, something unknown alongside of something that we do know. In fact, the story that I just told you is a parable. I love the way that Robert Mackey put it. He said this, stories are the best way to get ideas into the world. 
And, and this is what Jesus did. He told these parables. He, he told these stories that evoked the imagination, that invited people to feel something, invited them to crawl around inside the story and explore. They were the seeds to an invitation that would be an alternate reality that was present all around them. And you see, Jesus used stories because we are story-formed people. There's something about the way that we're created that we, we love stories. We're drawn to stories. In fact, did you know that something in your brain lights up different when you hear a story than when you hear just didactic information? In fact, the same part of your brain lights up when you experience physical pain as when you experience emotional pain, which is why it's so important, especially in this moment, to listen to other people's stories, to enter in, to allow it to prick our heart a little bit. Yeah, good stories invite us in. They create tension and they unearth some sort of transcendent truth that's present all around us. It's the reason that some stories stand the test of time. Stories like the Odyssey or the Iliad. Stories like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. But, but they don't have to be fantasy stories only. They could also be stories from history. I mean, think of December 1st, 1955, when Rosa Parks refused to get off of that Montgomery bus, refused to move seats, and the ripple effects changed the world that we live in and are still changing the world that we live in. Stories have this energy, this life of their own, and it's the very reason that Jesus used stories in order to push people forward or invite them in to a different reality. See, I'd invite you to write this down. Jesus's parables are designed to create disorientation that would eventually lead to spiritual awakening. See, I remember that Dennis Keating used to say, uh, use the acronym SPIGO, something bigger's going on. And he's right, something bigger is going on. And Jesus often used parables to help us name and identify and step into that something bigger. And so I'm so excited for this series because if you're anything like me, I'm a little bit tired. I'm a little bit worn out. I'm a little bit disenfranchised. I'm a little bit frustrated. I'm a little bit sad. And, and I could use a story that's a seed to a different reality, to an alternate reality that's present right here if we would just join Jesus and step into it. That's what this series is all about. So I'd invite you to open to Matthew chapter 13 as we jump into this first parable, the parable of the sower. So parables were subversive stories that Jesus told to create spiritual awakening. And I think they're essential stories for our day and our time right now. 
one of the very first parables recorded for us is recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bible, will you turn there with me? We're going to begin in verse 3 this morning and listen to the way that Matthew records this parable. He writes this, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds that fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's Jesus's parable. And it leaves the people sort of looking around saying, what? What was, what was that all about? I mean, pause for a moment and just notice there's two constants in this parable. One constant is the sower, and the sower is scattering seed um, almost recklessly, uh, lavishly. Like, like the sower hasn't planned this out. He doesn't have a blueprint of where he's putting the seed. He hasn't tilled the soil and is nicely putting it in its spot. No, he's just scattering seed wherever. Another constant is the seed. It's the same in every case. We'll talk about what it is in just a moment. A variable, though, is the soil. Some lands on hard ground, on a path, on rocky ground, on thorny ground, and some on soft soil. And then Jesus ends this parable with this invitation, he who has ears, let him hear. As if to say, are you listening? Are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? See, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that in our day and time, that is the question for us to wrestle with. Do I have ears to hear? Am I listening to God? And am I listening to other people? See, what's really interesting is that this is one of the very first parables, and it's also one of the only parables that Jesus explains. If you have your Bible open, jump down to Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, where Jesus is going to unpack what he's talking about. He said this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So we start to see that God is the sower, but Jesus defines for us what the seed he's sowing is. It's the word. But he doesn't leave it at that. Because usually when we hear word, at least in our culture, in our day, in our time, we think Bible. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, look at it, verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, that's the subversive story that Jesus is telling. That's the invitation that Jesus is throwing out there. Will will you hear this kingdom? Will you receive my kingdom. Now, there's a lot of debate about what the kingdom of God is. I think Dallas Willard maybe captured it best when he simply said, the kingdom of God is the effective range of God's will. It's where what God wants done actually gets done. But before we talk about 
what the kingdom is, we need to talk about where this kingdom lives and, and where it finds its footing. See, certainly the scriptures talk about the kingdom of God being an eschatological reality, something that all of creation is heading toward, the reign of God, the rule of God. That's a, that's a someday, not yet. But there is a two-day reality of the kingdom, and listen to where Jesus talks about it residing. He said that it resides, and the seed is sown in his heart, in his heart. That the kingdom of God lives in the hearts of the followers of Jesus. And indeed, Jesus will say in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, the kingdom of God is within you. And so I'd invite you to write this down today. The health of our heart determines our capacity to live in God's kingdom. The health of our heart determines the capacity to live in God's kingdom. But I want to press deeper into this question. What is the kingdom of God? And what does it look like for us to live in it today? The kingdom of God can feel like a a nebulous term, uh, something that's hard to get handholds on. But I want to spend some time today really driving into what this kingdom is, because it is the seed that Jesus, the sower, is sowing in our world and in our hearts. So we should understand it. See, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus started to teach publicly, listen to what he said. It said, from that time, so this this is Jesus' message, from this time forward, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is it's here. It's right now. God's effective rule and reign can take place in your life right this moment. But then if you fast forward just a a few verses, you start to read the Sermon on the Mount and it's where Jesus unpacked what it means to live under God's rule and reign. And listen to some of the things that he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Did you know that Mahatma Gandhi, one of the key influences in his life was the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus. It shaped and formed his revolution. And then Martin Luther King Jr., one of the main influences on the civil rights movement in the United States was the Sermon on the Mount. This idea that we're called to live in the kingdom of God and that we're called to be peacemakers. See, see, part of living in the kingdom of God, and this is why this is so important for the moment that we are living in right now, in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, in the aftermath or in the reality right now of all around our globe protests about racial issues and racial segregation taking place. Uh, This is a moment where the kingdom of God needs to start coming to fruition in our lives. So what does it look like and what does it mean to live out all of these things? Well, to quote the prophet Micah, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. See, all of this is a part of living with this seed taking root in our soul, to be people who care about justice. 
That's a part of living in the kingdom of God, to care about issues of equality and issues of inequality. This was central to the early church, that the ground was level at the foot of the cross, and they pushed back against any sort of ethnic divide that would have created a superior race one to the other. See, but maybe it's not just justice. That's important. But it's justice that flows from a place of love. After all, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love other people. But when the early church starts to talk about this idea of loving God, they put flesh on it by saying this, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. So what does it look like to be people of justice and to be people of love? Because those are two ways, and certainly there's more than that, but those are two ways the kingdom seed starts to grow in our life. Well, let's tackle love first. The first step to loving anyone is listening to them, is hearing their story. Over the course of this week, as racial tension has, has risen in our country, and is on the radar on a way that it hasn't been in a long time. And I think this is gonna be a good thing for us in the end. I've had the chance to reach out and to listen to people's stories from within our church. Uh, stories of, of African-Americans, stories of Hispanics, and just had the chance to listen to the way that their experience growing up and living in this world that we live in has been different than mine. And I can tell you that has been so good for, for my soul to start to understand from a different perspective than the one that I naturally have because of who I am and the experiences that I've had. I, I love demands that, that we, we listen would you do that this week? Would you reach out to somebody who might be different than you, have a different color skin, different ethnicity, and just listen. Ask them what their experience has been like and what their story is. I mean, when Jesus says, do you have ears to hear? I think he's talking certainly first and foremost about this parable, but I think he's also talking about the realities that we're experiencing in our world right now. Do we have ears to hear? But then also, that we would be people who fight for justice, who fight for equality. We would recognize that God is definitively on the side of the oppressed. In fact, he will say to the nation of Israel in Isaiah chapter one, and I'd encourage you read it this week. He will say to them, listen, your religious festivals, your sacrifices, all of your worship services, they mean nothing to me if you're not people who long for justice, if you're not people who treat others with equality. See friends, love and justice are not social justice issues. They are kingdom issues. They're gospel issues. I mean, every time we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, we're praying for love and for justice. So in this subversive story that Jesus tells, this seed that's being planted of the kingdom in our hearts today, hopefully, one of the ways it bears fruit is through love and justice. Are we living those out? Are you living those out? Am I living those out? Do we have ears to hear? 
because the kingdom seed is being planted in an environment of hostility in this parable and in our world today. And the kingdom, that seed is small and it's often quiet, but it grows to become something beautiful and something subversive and something powerful. And I pray that it will have that influence in our hearts, in our lives, and in our church. But there's some challenges to that seed growing to its full fruition. We're going to jump and explore those now as Jesus continues to teach us from Matthew chapter 13. So Jesus is the sower and he's scattering the seeds of his kingdom. His invitation for people to live with him as the ruler and Lord of their life, to to live in his way with his heart. And he said that there's hostility towards that. Now, the seed is going to fall on soil, but the soil is really our souls. It's, It's how we hear and how we receive the message that Jesus is throwing out. So I would just propose to you, we're going to look at three of those soils right now, but your heart is soil for the kingdom of God. So how is it resting on your heart? Here's the first picture that Jesus paints in verse 19. He says this, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so what Jesus is saying is that the first thing that can happen in the soil is direct attack. I'd invite you to write that down. Direct attack from the enemy of your soul. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that there is an enemy that wants to steal, wants to kill, and wants to destroy. And the scriptures don't spend a lot of time unpacking the nuances of evil and even personified evil in in Satan or the devil. They just simply state that it's a reality. And I would simply state the same thing. We talked about it last week, and I'd invite you, if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. Because so many of the things we talked about last week are are ways that the enemy comes and plucks that seed out of the soil of our soul. So direct attack can be one way that the enemy steals what um, Jesus wants to plant in our life. It can be the way that our soul gets violated. Verse 20, Jesus paints another picture. He says, As for what was sown along the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. But when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So you see the picture that's being painted? This is somebody that hears the message of Jesus and they respond right away. I mean, it just lights them up. You may have responded to the gospel that way, where you just go, I've been waiting to hear this good news all my life. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But one of the things that Jesus points out that can happen is that we can confuse passion or excitement with resolve and devotion. That what Jesus is really calling us to is not excitement about the gospel. He's calling us to discipleship. To what Eugene Peterson would call a long obedience in the same direction. 
I, I think to, to put it in, in, in terms that we might be able to relate with, Jesus is painting the picture of somebody who tries to build a fire using only kindling that goes up really quick, that lights really fast, but that can't sustain heat and can't sustain growth and can't continue for the long haul. And he's saying, I want better for you. I want you to receive the kingdom of God in the soil of your soul in a way where it can grow deep roots. I love the way that the apostle Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17. He's praying for the church and he says he prays for them that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love that your roots would go deep into the love of your Father. And Jesus tells us why that's so important. Because persecution is going to come. Trials are going to come. Pain is going to come. Death is going to come. Sickness is going to come. The call from the doctor is going to come. The call from the boss is going to come at some point. Pain is going to come into our life. And that's what Jesus wants to draw out. That the seeds that fall on our soul can be squelched because of, and I'd invite you to write this down, painful experiences. Just the reality of living in a fallen world. But what Jesus points out is that what those storms reveal, they don't reveal that God isn't good. God is good. They don't reveal that God doesn't love you. God loves you. But when the storm comes and it destroys us, what it reveals is that our roots weren't deep enough into the love of the Father. That's the picture that Jesus paints in Matthew chapter 7 when he tells the story about the storms that come in life. And he proposes this idea. It's not if storms come, it's when they come. And when they come, they reveal what we've been building our life on, either on rock or on sand. But when we ground our lives in God's love, we can sustain life's storms. So I just think we're in this this moment together as a church and as a culture at large. We turn on the news and we see race issues going on. We see social distancing and COVID. We, We see economic instability going on. And I just wonder what it's revealing about the rootedness of our soul. How deep has the kingdom gone in our lives? How are we responding? Are we being uprooted or are we walking faithfully with God? Third picture of the soils he paints in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and make and prove it unfruitful. This idea in the Greek of, of the, the kingdom being choked out or the seed being choked out is the picture of a, of a good seed that's planted and a weed that grows up right alongside of it and starts to suck all of the nutrients out of it because there's only enough water to go around for one thing. And he says, your, your soul is the same way. You can only value one thing above everything. You can only have your devotion and your worship set on one thing as supreme and glorious in your life. And if you put it on riches, if you put it on material possessions, it's going to be a distorted desire that wreaks havoc on your soul. And I'd invite you to write that down. That's the third soil that Jesus draws out for us. The soil of our soul that's distorted desires, distorted desires. 
And it may show up in the quest for, for money or for material things. Or it might show up in the what-if game or the if-only game. God, if only you would have my spouse act that way or my husband do that. God, if only I had a little bit better job. If only my kids were a little bit better behaved. If only I got into that college. If only I had that relationship. We play this if-only game all the time. And I think in many ways what it reveals is a distorted desire And Jesus talked so much about this because he knew that the allurement of wealth is a shadow. It's chasing an enigma that you will never grasp because it's not real. It can't deliver on what it promises. And so Jesus will say to us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. So what if this week you did some diagnostic of the health of your soul? the health of your heart. You're the keeper of the stream. And tried to answer this question, what do I really want? Like deep down, what's my deepest desire? What's my strongest desire? Maybe then you ask, is there any way that pain is is squelching the seed of the kingdom? That I'm saying no to Jesus because of things that are painful and hurtful in my life. And then maybe you just ask the simple question, is there any way that the enemy is stealing and killing and destroying? I'd invite you, as the great hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So Jesus, the the great sower, has outlined the different ways that our heart can be hard soil. Uh, One, the enemy can steal the seed away through direct attack. Or two, um, problems and pain and experiences of life come in and make it hard for the kingdom to grow in our life. Or third, we have desires that get off track. But Jesus also wants to teach us how to be disciples. And so he ends this parable by painting a picture of a healthy heart and healthy soil. And remember, you're the keeper of your stream. And so I'd invite you, lean in as Jesus teaches us. Here's what he says. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, the word of the kingdom. He's the one who hears. Now, just so we're clear, every other soil has heard also. So hearing alone is important, but it's not enough. He goes on, who hears and understands. He's the one who bears uh, bears fruit and yields in one case 100 fold, in another case 60, and in another case 30. This word understands is so important. It's this picture of taking all of these facts and synthesizing them together, making them into one interlocking whole. The picture of uh, Jesus' painting is that those who receive the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, and allow it to permeate every fiber of their being, those are the people who start to bear fruit. Those are the people who start to walk in the joy that God has for us. 
See, it's interesting that healthy soil allows the kingdom to integrate into all of our life, our finances, our sexuality, our relationships, every single piece of it, Jesus gets to touch and Jesus gets to rule over. So let me invite you to write this down. Embracing God's kingdom allows us to experience God's joy. And that's what this is all about, this idea of multiplication of the seed, getting to be who we were always designed to be. See, the whole purpose of the seed coming into the world is to produce people who will bear fruit. And the lack of bearing fruit is not a punishment that God imposes on people. It's a lack of growing into all that God has designed us for and all that he had in mind. It's, it's missing the fullness that Jesus longs for us to walk in. But please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. Our job is to cultivate a, a soul that's receptive to the seed of the kingdom. But the job of the seed is to grow. The job of the seed is to bear fruit. The job of the seed is to bring life. Everything that seed needs is encompassed within that seed. We just get to provide the environment for it to grow. I think the disorienting part of this parable, this aha moment that Jesus wants us to grapple with, is the fact that the kingdom is present now, that he's the sower and he's scattering seed right now at your computer, in your living room. Just picture Jesus coming up to you and scattering the seed of his kingdom in your life. And the question is, how are you going to receive it? Because it's coming at you right now, in the here and now. So will you hear him now? Declaring his love, declaring his goodness, that's the subversive reality, the reality-altering invitation that Jesus is giving you and I today. He's right here, casting his seed, the seed of his kingdom, into your life. And so, do you have ears to hear? You know, let me give you just two quick things to do this week, and then we're going to close our time by celebrating the communion table together. Two quick things that if you want to say, man, I want that in my life. I want to cultivate a soul that's tender to the kingdom of God, that that creates space for God to speak and space for God to move. Let me invite you to do two things. Number one, in John chapter 15, Jesus says this, verse five, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever abides in me bears fruit. Literally, make your home in me, Jesus says. Can I invite you? Write this down. Pursue intimacy with Jesus. Not just reading your Bible, not just praying. Those are both really good things and and ways to pursue intimacy, but you can do those things without the goal of being with Jesus and being close to Jesus. So do those things, but but do it with a goal to hear his heart, to hear his heart for you because you can't bear fruit if you don't have intimacy. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, Maybe you uh, download Vincent van Gogh's uh, painting of the sower. He did it in 1888. Brilliant piece. And just picture Jesus sowing seed into your life and allow your heart to be caught up in worship of him. 
Second, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, But I say, Paul writing, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then Paul goes on to explain the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, but he says, listen, the way that that fruit happens in your life is by staying in step with the Spirit. It's not trying hard. It's staying in step. So here, let me invite you to write this down. Last thing. Cultivate awareness of the Spirit. Cultivate awareness of the Spirit. The fruit are not manufactured by our deliberate effort, but by staying in step with the Spirit of God and allowing the seed to grow unimpeded. Remember, the power is in the seed. So let me ask you today, do you have ears to hear? Do you have a heart that's soft? Or is it hard and the enemy is just plucking the seed away? Or is it wounded and you've experienced pain and the kingdom is not getting rooted? Or are your desires all off kilter? See, I'm going to end our time together with a simple invitation, a question that Jesus ended this teaching with. Do you have ears to hear? Because he wants his rule and his reign to grow in your life today for your joy and for the good of the gospel in the world.